Our scripture passage is from John chapter 20, verses 24 to 29. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Amen. I'm uh, thankful and uh, glad to be uh, here, uh, whether it's in person or virtually with you. Uh, today we arrive at the final installment, a uh, third of three in the current series relating to the pursuit of experiencing a more of the Easter spirit in our regular daily Christian walks. Uh, for review's sake, um, here are the three messages listed by uh, date, title, passage, topic, and uh, post-mortem appearance. So we did uh, April 18th, we did Easter tears, right? Yeah, from verses 10 to 18, this is when uh, Jesus um, shared uh, his love uh, for, uh, especially to Mary Magdalene. Uh, there was that beautiful exchange, uh, the reunion between teacher and disciple. Then we talked about the week after that, Easter fears. Those uh, four verses um, where the disciples were uh, pretty much quaking in fear, right? Um, fear of, of uh, the, the various types of fears that they were um, kind of shaken by. And Jesus comes to them and um, grants them peace. Peace be with you. He breathes the Holy Spirit on them. Today, our topic or our theme is, or, or title, sorry, is Easter Scars, uh, the passage that Sam read for us. And it's directed to Thomas. Other disciples are there, but I think it really helps Thomas, um, the doubter, or Thomas, the one who's struggling with his faith, with his belief system. Um, <clears throat> there's actually a fourth appearance recorded in the Gospel of John, a rather famous one, in the next chapter. Jesus appears to Peter, along with the other disciples, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. This is where Jesus reinstates Peter, despite his denial of Jesus, so Peter can lead the ongoing gospel ministry. Uh, since we covered that on several Sundays as recently as last year, I opted to stay within chapter 20 uh, this time around. Our focus today, like I said, will be on the disciple Thomas and his particular area of need that the Easter event resolved. If we say for Mary, uh, Jesus healed her broken heart, and for the disciples, he settled their anxious psyches. Uh, for Peter, he revitalized Peter's wrecked spirit. Now, I'd say that uh, Jesus untangled, untangled Thomas's bewildered mind so that Thomas could believe once again. Our narrative is short and straightforward. Uh, Thomas was not with the other disciples during the second appearance, uh, which would have been on the evening of, the, of that first Easter Sunday. Uh, and despite what they had reported to him about uh, having seen Jesus, Thomas would not believe. Um, 
as he said, until he had sufficient evidence, uh, namely seeing the scars from Jesus' side where a a spear had pierced, and his hands where the nails had embedded. So on the following Sunday, uh, Jesus shows up again in their midst, performing his walk through walls trick uh, to come face to face with Thomas and help the brother through his doubt. Uh, For sermonic purposes then, uh, I organized the rest of the message into different types of evidence that helped Thomas regain his faith, and which may uh, help us if we are similarly struggling with our faith in God. So uh, I, I couched them thusly. Uh, please don't hold me to technical definitions today. I will use the terms more informally, commonly, broadly, okay, but um, testimonial evidence. So what the disciples said uh, to Thomas, empirical evidence, right? The, the hands and the side. Uh, there, there you see the verse uh, references. And then what I call personal evidence. And I'll try to explain what that is when we get to that. So let's delve into the first type. Uh, Thomas doubted the words of his compatriots, right? Talk about testimonial evidence. Uh, what they said did uh, nothing to persuade him. Uh, and these were men that were known, uh, he had known for a while and were ostensibly trustworthy. They had seen the Lord, but Thomas was not uh, prepared to give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, even though all 10 of them, remaining 10, uh, spoke in unison about what they had seen, uh, Thomas questioned the veracity of their words or the reality of their experience. Uh, In our current age of scams, disinformation, vacillation, and uh, media sources of fluctuating credibility, uh, testimonial evidence uh, is harder and harder to trust. Uh, The reliability of the witness, of course, is customarily the most important factor uh, in this kind of scenario. Any relevant expertise, education, or experience, or lack thereof, of the testifier uh, would probably affect our willingness to lend credence or not. Uh, I would also think that our own subjective sense of what we know and think, that can also play a big role. I think Gabe referenced that in his prayer. The more familiarity we have with a particular subject matter uh, could help us better evaluate testimonial or anecdotal reports. If we lack expertise or firsthand knowledge, we might be more credulous. But here, I think the sheer unbelievability right, of what was being posited, that a dead man had returned to life, that statement, that idea, it walled off Thomas's mind from extending any kind of plausibility uh, to their claims. Uh, this doubting Thomas is uh, a patron saint for skeptics. And, and there are certainly things in the Christian religion that the rational mind or the scientific mind, however you may want to define it, uh, would have difficulty with. I think with respect to the resurrection, Thomas's doubt is quite understandable, even reasonable. Simply put, uh, dead people don't come back to life. Uh, But perhaps there is more going on uh, than the obvious irrationality 
of the prospect of resurrection. Uh, I think maybe Thomas's whole kind of belief system was under, sie under siege um, because of the calamitous events surrounding Jesus's death. Um, you know, the opponents of Jesus had won. They had uh, nailed him to the tree. Um, they had suppressed him and destroyed him. So I think it's, you can imagine the disarray of Thomas's uh, thinking process. This great master, master, rabbi, friend, right? Jesus had been, you know, summarily arrested, tortured, tried, sentenced, and then executed all within a 24-hour span. He'd been in the prime of his life and influential, looking like he's making it. He was even a man of miracles, but it helplessly acquiesced to the indignities uh, afforded the typical political prisoner, uh, allowing his opponents to manhandle him, and worse, uh, being subject to a shameful death uh, caused by them. So everything Thomas had come to understand and come to believe and committed himself to the past three full years was upended in one fell swoop. His whole worldview imploded um, in a flash. So I think the repercussions were pretty devastating. There must have been deep numbness, even pessimism or cynicism in Thomas's mind. So I think that's, that kind of explains to me the Thomas's response to the disciples' testimony. He says that he would not believe until he personally touched the scars in Jesus's side and hands. Now, in the past, when I've looked at this passage, I kind of had issue, I had a problem with Thomas. Uh, though I find uh, personal doubt, right, sincere doubt to be spiritually healthy, I thought by cementing uh, his doubt in this manner, that he was going too far. But in this uh, study, in this uh, preparation uh, around, um, I actually found some room for hope in what uh, Thomas said. Yeah, yeah, sometimes words are not enough. Right? Testimonies are not sufficient. We need more. Uh, I think it was Thomas's way of saying, I can't believe what you guys are saying yet. It's too much for me at this point. But I will hold out or maybe hold on right, for more. If I can touch Jesus' scars, then I'll believe. So in that sense, it, it kind of helped me um, understand what Thomas was saying. Yeah, sometimes testimonial evidence can't get us all the way to being convicted of something, but it can serve as a piece or a part of bringing various strands slash lines of evidence uh, together. A quick application of this might be to extend this concept to our own spheres of evangelism when we share the gospel. Our verbal witness or our testimony for the living Lord, it may not blow people away or convert them on the spot, but the Holy Spirit can use it to assemble and aggregate more compelling, more comprehensive, a more comprehensive case to help someone uh, even a skeptic like Thomas, uh, to come to saving faith.
And let me move on to uh, the second type of evidence I see in this uh, passage, what I'm calling empirical uh, evidence. Uh, there are no scientific type repeatable you know, experiments planned uh, here. Uh, but Thomas calls, what Thomas calls for is concrete, interpretable, tangible proof of Jesus' resurrection. I think he wants to examine the unknown, did Jesus really rise from the dead, with something that he knows for sure and can compare or verify. So he knew through personal observation uh, that Jesus sustained scars from sharp metal objects piercing his body, right? blood flowed. Uh, such scars could not magically disappear. I guess empirically speaking, Thomas should be able to examine and corroborate these details. Right? That, that's what he needed. That's what he was requesting or asking for. Um, he'd not be, he would not be satisfied with some monograph, some like handbook on what the resurrection really means, like a, kind of an argument, if you will. A voice from heaven declaring Jesus is alive, he's returned from the dead, that, that wouldn't help either in Thomas's uh, situation. And it wasn't even the scars themselves. It was Thomas right, actually touching and verifying the scars that would belong to Jesus. That's what seemed important to him. And for many of us, this kind of you know, empirical evidence, this kind of like um, experiential knowledge, uh, it carries similar weight. Theoretical argument is one thing, but seeing, feeling, touching, analyzing, we don't think these are luxuries, but essentialities. And we want concrete evidence. And I, I too uh, feel this approach is a good one, right? It, it's solid. As much as we reasonably can, we should test out things that we don't have confidence in. But as I was thinking about it, at least this is in my own mind, a couple of small kind of points that I'd like to make in this regard. I've had to, I find that I'd have to check to see if sometimes I tout this approach because um, I'm not really open-minded. I have a bias against it, right? It's, sometimes for me, this approach is more of a defense mechanism rather than an authentic inquiry. So for example, in the Gospels, uh, the Jewish religious authorities, um, they were kind of constantly uh, battling Jesus, right? And they, they often um, demanded miraculous signs and wonders uh, in order for Jesus to prove his authority uh, from God. Despite all that Jesus had done, right? They wanted uh, the kind of evidence that they wanted, right? And this was because they wanted to avoid acknowledging that he was uh, sent from God. So Jesus had to kind of censure them and, and challenge them. Uh, uh, actually, in the same way that he tells Thomas, stop doubting and believe. I read in a commentary that those are, are parallel uh, uh, statements. Another concern for me is whether I'll be able to recognize what I'm looking for. Like there could be empirical evidence that God's giving me about himself or about a, about a situation, but um, I may not have the insight, I may not have the preparation to be able to discern it. Right? You know, Thomas, he's depicted as a logical thinker. 
who wants to know more things when he's unsure. Like in John 14, um, when Jesus tells his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm going to the Father. I'm going to prepare a place for you. You know, uh, the only way to the Father is through me. Thomas queries, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Thomas, again, wants more clarity. Uh, to his credit, he's not afraid to ask for it. But he kind of missed something because Jesus had already told them that he was going to the Father's house to prepare a place. Uh, so I think Thomas didn't quite understand what Jesus was referring to. So the desire for clarity is not necessarily by itself the most important thing, right? And then earlier in chapter 11 of John, when Jesus decides to go to the Jerusalem area to see Lazarus, who had actually died, Thomas, in an impressively loyal but resigned manner, says in verse 16, let us also go that we may die with him. Again, I have to admire Thomas being a realist. Right? He's ready to face as unpleasant a choice or fate as death. Right? He's pretty, like, I guess it made a logical kind of flow here. That because uh, in earlier times, the Jews had tried to stone Jesus. And so they were followers of Jesus. And so if they were going to kill Jesus, the next you know, progression would be they would kill his followers, including himself and, and others. And so I think that's what he's saying. But in actuality, Jesus had never said that they would all be marching to their death. Uh, he jumped the gun a little bit there. Uh, at minimum, he missed the point that Jesus was trying to make. It was, it was really about the disciples, expanding the disciples' scope of belief, and not really about whether Jesus would die at that moment, and certainly whether his followers would be. So even the power over death, right? There's already an allusion to that here in John chapter 11. So I just want to, you know, suggest that as we search for empirical evidence, um, you know, I certainly need to shore up my powers of observation and analysis. I don't want to miss clues or indicators that the Holy Spirit might be directing us to. Uh, back to our uh, Thomas story. Well, as if Jesus had overheard what Thomas said, the Lord makes another visit to his disciples. This time focusing on Thomas. Yeah, I'm so thankful, I'm so moved that Jesus knows our doubts. Right? He doesn't leave us in that state. He responds. Right? Now, he knew what Thomas needed to see his hands inside. Right? And he's able to uh, make it happen. He's able to show up. And I think um, this is what makes Jesus maybe so different from the rest of us in our halting, paltry efforts to kind of maybe use or offer empirical evidence. Like, unlike many of the attempts that uh, we see to corroborate facts in our day, um, Jesus's ability to kind of bridge that believability gap, to me, this came from not only the fact that he was able to show the hands and side, but the hands and side represented the, uh, the painful price that he paid to um, earn that trust, right? to generate uh, that faith. The proof that he had risen from the dead, right, derived from the sacrifice yeah, um, of love 
of um, abandonment um, of yeah, uh, painful suffering uh, that he endured. He had paid the cost. And so his empirical evidence right, is worthwhile. It's genuine, it's authentic, it's powerful. Right? Evidence in the Easter scars is able to establish yeah, proof positive. Whereas, you know, our, what we see or what we offer as empirical evidence, I don't find it as uh, persuasive. Yeah, certainly it was uh, powerful enough, amazing enough uh, to erase Thomas's doubts. Right? It helped him uh, come back to faith uh, in God. Uh, let me move on to um, the final sort or category, if you will, of evidence, and what I'm calling personal evidence. Now, I realize this is not technically an evidentiary category. Um, what I'm referring to as personal evidence, the way I'm thinking about it is recollective, right? Or possibly new um, experience or experiences of a direct personal interaction with whatever subject matter that is at issue. So personal evidence is the connection that you had with whatever you're doubting in the past. It could be a person, it could be an idea, it could be a thing, it could be a memory. Uh, okay, I hope that's not too unclear. Uh, in our narrative, it's Thomas seeing, uh, personally seeing with his own uh, eyes and with his own hands, seeing the resurrected Lord in the flesh. And I think hearing Jesus' exhortation to stop doubting and believe. It must have comported with Thomas's memory of who Jesus really was and how he felt all those times in the Lord's presence. It reminded Thomas of the kind of faith he once possessed in Jesus Christ, right? the wonder that he felt, you know, the, 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 the impossible things becoming possible. Right? Things like the resurrection, even though it's crazy from a reason standpoint, there were other times when things, crazy things happened. Uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of reading into uh, thinking about Tom, what, what went through Thomas's mind. And, and this personal evidence, right, this renewal of personal evidence was what proved compelling to Thomas. This is what was uh, convicting. And it causes uh, Thomas to spontaneously utter one of the highest Christological confessions up to that time. My Lord and my God. Right? Nobody had called Jesus deity this directly up to this point. Right? And Thomas uh, is the, uh, the source here. Thomas calls Jesus God. Uh, indeed, I think in the context of Easter, um, a renewal of the personal connection, this personal evidence, is what a number of Jesus's followers uh, experienced. And that is what convinced them that Jesus was truly alive. So we've already talked about uh, Mary, how she recognized Jesus only after he called her name, right? They were talking a little bit and she thought he was a gardener. Right? And when she, Jesus calls her name, Mary, recalling the personal relationship that they had, that's what moved her. 
at that time she thought that it was Jesus. In John 21, where they're fishing on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus, uh, Jesus is calling out to them from the shoreline, precipitated like a deja vu moment, um, allowing one disciple to identify Jesus, thereby prompting Peter to hurriedly jump into the water and swim towards Jesus. And then on the road to Emmaus, that story in Luke 24, the two disciples had walked and talked with Jesus for quite a bit, thinking him only a recent visitor to the city, unaware of the tumultuous events surrounding their teacher. It wasn't until they stopped to take refreshment that they recognized him when he broke the communal bread, when he gave thanks, that their eyes were open to who he really was. Only then did they recall how their hearts were burning during the earlier conversation. Right, so I think this personal evidence, whatever it means, that you see that in a number of these kind of encounters. And although Thomas represents more of a scientific mindset, uh, I think what really seems to lie at the heart of his doubt is perhaps not the lack of empirical evidence or testimonial evidence, but personal doubt regarding Jesus. Thomas had put all of his eggs in, Jesus, in the Jesus basket. When everything fell apart, I think, as I said, Thomas's belief structure also collapsed. It was really Thomas who had the Easter scars, if you will. You know, death and great loss can do that to faith. We lose a loved one, a dream dies, hopes are crushed, and our whole worldview uh, can teeter. And sometimes the only thing that brings us back is this kind of personal evidence. Yeah. I was thinking back, I think at least about 10 years ago, there was a particularly dry season uh, in my spiritual walk and uh, a lot of questions, a lot of wavering uh, with God. Uh, and I remember going on a uh, prayer uh, retreat like it was an annual thing that I, I join other pastors and there's some personal prayer time. And I'm, I think I went with somebody and uh, we were praying together and I was praying for that person. But in that prayer, and I wasn't really even focusing on the issues at hand, but it was just kind of, you know, sort of waiting on God, crying out on God, asking questions and stuff. And Kind of there was, and I don't really want to describe the details because it's intensely personal. I'll just say that it was kind of a personal exchange with him that I never had experienced before. But it, in all of its kind of contours and all of its um, aspects, it, 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 it was unique in, in the sense that it was kind of the first time or, or special, but it was so kind of aligned and, and, and um, consistent with you know, so much of, of what I knew and, and had experienced about God. Uh, and so I found that to be so helpful. You know, this kind of, yeah, yeah, whatever, God reaching out to me, God coming to me in my hour of need um, and really restoring uh, some stuff that had been kind of damaged, if you will, um, uh, in my own uh, personal life, personal faith. Um, yeah, you know, despite all the times that I had prayed before, despite all of the conversations that, that I've had, all the, all the books that I've read, all the you know, years of experience, right? It really was the personal encounter, right? That kind of 
drew me, um, it kind of rescued me, kind of drew me from the brink. Um, I think uh, for Thomas, um, to hear that Jesus was walking around uh, after th about uh, three days after the horrific events, this was just too much for him when he first heard about it to process. So he was going to stick to the tangible, the sensible, the perceptible, the, the known. Uh, and all those, I think, are helpful. But it turns out what Thomas needed was kind of that personal encounter, that, 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 that evidence uh, that Jesus was there uh, for him. And again, what I'm so thankful for is that Jesus accommodated that need. He showed up. And he resurrected Thomas's faith. Right? And sometimes there's no getting around that. And what we need is to really experience God doing that for us. We need the, the big boss. We need the top guy to come, us, come and tell us that it's going to be okay. Or he has an explanation. Or um, we can believe in something that's hard to believe, right? like the resurrection. We need personal assurance, a personal appearance. Uh, Mona is telling me about a book she's reading uh, called Extreme Ownership, right? And it's about Navy SEALs and, and how their training is so kind of, you know, crazy and, 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 and rigorous. Um, but, you know, they're the most kind of the most amazing soldiers, I guess, in the world. Um, and one of the things that they uh, always talk about is the team concept, how um, they really have to be there for each other. And, and there is that kind of camaraderie that's uh, like just uh, you know, off the charts. And uh, there's this one story there where um, the uh, team leader, the SEAL team leader was told that they had to go on a mission uh, that would include, and they're in Iraq, and it's relevant because you know, we're talking about Iraq drawdown and all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, no, that's Afghanistan, sorry. Afghanistan is, the, is where they're withdrawing troops, anyway. Um, in, uh, and so he heard the order, and so he had to tell his team members that they were going to have um, other Iraqi soldiers or trainees uh, go on this mission with them. And this was like really taboo because the, the SEALs need to really rely on each other. And so there was a, a lot of questions, a lot of like uncertainty, a lot of you know, pushback. On, this is just, they, they wouldn't uh, accept this. There was a lot of uncertain, uh, you know, un, uh, disbelief even. Um, and so the team leader had to go, or he, the general actually came to the team leader and, uh, you know, they, they had a conversation and uh, he asked, the, the leader asked him, you know, how can this be? What, what this is, a, this, this, you, you can't make us do this. And the general went into like a full long explanation about how this was necessary, right? That unless um, the Iraqi soldiers, the Iraqi SEALs, I guess, were trained in this manner, um, the US SEALs could never you know, leave the region. They could never uh, depart. They would always need to be there to, to accomplish these missions. So unless you transferred this knowledge and training and ability, um, you know, this would be an unending kind of, kind of situation. Yeah, interesting. I don't know what your, your, your thoughts are on, 
you know, helping other countries or, or military aspects. But what I'm talking about, what I want to use for this message is that the general had to come and tell the leader you know, what was different, why they had to make an exception, why the rules changed, right? why they could trust, I guess, the, the top brass, <laughs> the, the leadership here. And I think sometimes we need that. I need that with God, right? Uh, that he has to come into my confusion, into my darkness, into my um, bewildered mind, right? And he needs to help me process. He needs to help me think things through. He, he needs to lead me to faith again, right? Yeah, let me finish by just um, having us think about what Jesus said, that you, know, you believe because you saw, but it is more blessed to not see and believe. Uh, I wonder if Jesus, I thought about whether Jesus was making some sort of hierarchy of belief. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. I think uh, what he's saying is um, what we need to get to is the belief part, faith in him. Yeah, um, that is what is uh, truly blessed, right? And I think we can use all these types of evidence. Not all of them are available or accessible, right? Uh, but I was thinking the personal evidence, that is something that we can always ask of God. That is something that we can always turn to God. That is something that I think God was willing to, to give us, maybe not in the way that we expect, but that he uh, can grant it to us, right? And sometimes I think, you know, the, the term is what? Seeing is believing. But in Christian life, sometimes believing is seeing, right? Sometimes faith results in insight, in sight. Um, the theologian, the church father, uh, Anselm, uh, said it this way, I believe so that I may understand. You Latin buffs, anybody out there? Credo ut intelligent. And usually, like, we study, we think, we process, we discuss in order to understand, right? We, we, we try to understand it, and then that leads to faith. But sometimes believing is seeing, right? I hope that that is something that we can be blessed by. Um, you know, Thomas, uh, in the end, right, despite his, all that he went through, he came to faith, and he was able to proclaim Jesus as my Lord, my God. Um, that is the resurrection faith. Right? That is what we all need to get to, that is what I need to get to. Uh, let's try to do that here in a time of reflection and prayer.